0: Hello, and welcome back to new recording. I'm your host, Vola. You'll have to excuse the sound of my voice right now, as I'm in a post-pride haze. The month of June has been insane. Um, but, the sound of my own voice has never stopped me from recording a little something-something, so... Allow me to bring to your attention maybe a long-lost memory. So who remembers a uh, class? <laughs> Raise your hand if uh, you remember learning about the difference between distance and displacement in high school physics. It was a distinction that plagued me as a high school freshman. I was not great at physics. I fully got a 3 on the AP exam. Um, but it's a distinction that is plague-turned-poetry. Um, when I revisit it. Distance is the measure of how much ground an object has covered during its motion. Displacement is a measure of how far out of place an object is. So I love thinking about the way science shows up in the interpersonal realm. Um, And you think about distance a lot when your lifestyle is constant motion and to displacement. Am I out of place? Am I off track? By how far? I think about the ways that distances and displacements have seeped into how I am, how I relate to others. Distance is a tool, an armor, a coping mechanism. Distance is something not without consequences. This episode of New Recording brushes that topic in a range of ways. Architectural designer and educator Mora Chen. We talk about transient lifestyles and the way distance shows up in their relationships, for better or for worse. Mora and I spoke in the Silver Lake studio over a year ago, um, and I learned a lot from them in the short hour that we spoke. So keep listening; you're in for a treat. And if you want more, you can always follow their Substack, Drafting Curbside which I'll link out in the description. Thank you to Scope of Work for supporting this show, and thank you for listening.
1: Thank you for being here today. Yeah, I want to make sure um, that I pronounce your name right. It's something that I'm really sensitive to because people mispronounce my name all the time. Oh. Um, so would you be willing to introduce yourself um, by name and also uh, any way you'd like to identify Um, yes. Uh,
2: my name is Maura. My name means ocean. Really? That's beautiful. It's Gaelic. Um, and yeah, I use they, she pronouns, but I also have no preference. I don't believe gender is real. So whatever you like. Um, but also how do you pronounce your name now that you
1: said it? Yeah. So my name is pronounced Pola like Lola. Oh my gosh. With the P. (laughs) That's the, um, like phrase I've had to come up with to teach people how to say it. I used to just let people mispronounce it or I used to play like a game with myself and try and see how many varieties people could like um, come up with for what I thought is a pretty simple two-syllable four-letter word (laughs) but um, my dad was born in Poland so he named me Pola.
2: Oh Yeah. I, well, I've been saying your name, Paula, so I'm glad.
1: Uh, Yeah, I know it. Exactly. I haven't had to, to go over it, which I I appreciate. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, either who you are as a person or if you want to, you can talk about what work you're interested in or what things in the world you're interested in.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Um, So I am, I guess I'm an
2: architectural designer and educator, um, but I'm also a writer and an artist and I would say urbanist in the sense of I love cities. I'm like entranced by them Um, and I've lived in several different cities, so I feel very that feels very close to the person that I am, um, especially walking and biking in cities. Oh, and just, I am
1: such a biker as well. Yeah. Wow. I love <laughs> like discovering these commonalities. And as I was saying to Maura earlier, this is actually my first foray into um, doing a podcast with someone who I just met <laughs> <laughs> moments ago. Um, and so I'm really excited to see and listen back. Uh, about the different ways we'll get to know each other over the course of the episode and then after as well I think like at first because this project is so personal to me and I remember talking about this with you um, I'm trying really hard with season two to talk to people who I don't know personally and so it feels like going one step further with that like um, intimacy or vulnerability aspect of it with voice memos in general, which are so personal, so intimate, but also like using the project as the vehicle to vulnerability, because it's sometimes hard to have a conversation with someone, um, and using voice memos as the tool to do that. And then the podcast more largely vulnerability, like in having the conversation, but then also sharing it, it's all, it's all been a part of the part of the exercise.
2: When I was living in Berkeley, and then San Francisco, um, and yeah, New York, and then a suburban part of New Jersey, and Philly, I, I've i never owned a car in my entire life. Wow. Um. So I've always been like a public transit biking person. Um. And biking, I think, I think specifically San Francisco in the tech, I mean, continuing tech boom era, but I think in like 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. especially, it was so interesting to experience the city that way and meet people that way Um, to see people like waiting for their Google buses on the corner and then, you know, be on my way to work. But then also, you know, I was in the Tenderloin. um, And so I would see a lot of unhoused people. And I think, wait, I'm sorry. What
1: is the Tenderloin?
2: It's an, it's a neighborhood of San Francisco. It's actually the original queer district, um, which not a lot of people talk about or know, but um, yeah, pre the Castro Mm. the Tenderloin was sort of like the center. um, And I think, Well, still, you can go to, like, Aunt Charlie's Lounge. It's like, a drag bar there. Oh, cool.
1: I've never been... Well, I actually went to San Francisco once, but it was only for, like, a couple of hours. Mm. But you're making me interested in exploring it more. I mean... (laughs)
2: you <laughs> did watch um, the only black man in San
1: Francisco. I haven't seen that yet, but it's been on my list.
2: It's it's good, and I actually, it's nice because I always circle back to this one line um, where he's on he's on the public bus, and he says um, he's really mad that these two people are like griping about how much they hate the city, and he goes, "You don't get to hate it unless you love it," and mm. that's like a center point, I think, to my relationship to every place I've ever lived is you know the humility of recognizing that you don't know like you were saying the histories have changed and like you know how yeah. that city has transformed and even like your yeah very particular neighborhood block has changed
1: that's so true so it's clear you've you've bounced around a lot is that by design or just sort of like where life brought you um i
2: guess both is always both yeah. um yeah i well i was i guess the main move between west and east coast was for grad school Mm. um and so yeah and then moving to philly was very much uh, a mid-pandemic move of wanting to be in a place where i didn't know anyone and just be in a new space
1: wow that's really brave i haven't i don't know that i've spoken to anyone who's like i want to move somewhere because i don't know anyone
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's I mean, and it's funny, too, because I think so much of what I'm excited to talk to you about is about um, like physical proximity and physical shared space and like the kinships that we form in our lives. But also, like, I think that desire to be unknown and to be perceived in like a new light was really crucial to strengthening those bonds. I mean, there's always duality and
1: everything. but That's so true. I didn't I didn't think about that, I guess, only in the context of, I guess, like leaving my childhood home
0: mm. and going
1: to college did I think about I, I was thinking like a lot about like the ways I was perceived and like that idea of like starting over mm. and recently and we can get into this in a little bit before, after we talk about voice voicemails which are very central to this conversation <laughs> um I don't know I've just been thinking about as someone who likes moving around a lot too um I guess just sort of like the, the pros and cons of it and to like um, I don't know, I guess in terms of strengthening bonds um, or, or like this idea of like cultivating your community as opposed to like going somewhere else to find it. Mm. And like my tendency to have been like always seeking out something that I could have also like stayed in one place and try to build myself it can also be harmful when you are like moving to someone else's space. So it's a tough, it's a tough question that I've like been thinking about a lot. Uh, Is there anything else that you want to share about you or yourself that sort of like contextualizes your perspective for the people who are listening?
2: Yeah, I think um, I'm trying to remember. Something you just said was making me think of something that my friend B said recently. Um, Oh yeah. It was about, about um, not being able to grow in all directions at once. So this idea that, you know, if we're, uh, I guess, like in one place and feel rooted, then we can be thinking about our communities and it's harder to think about ourselves. And like, you know, obviously all these things grow together and all the time, um, but I think relevant to where I am, I was living in Philly, but I was working remotely in New York. Mm-hmm. And then basically I, so I haven't lived in, um, Anywhere near my hometown in 10 years. Wow. Yeah. And so then during the pandemic, I hadn't visited even. So I hadn't seen um, my little brother, who's nine years younger, or my mom or my dad, um, or like any extended co- family cousins um, for two years. And when I visited, I realized how much help was needed because my parents had been taking care of my mom's dad and his mother in law. So her grandma, my great grandma. Wow. So I, um, so I'm currently an in-home caretaker, (laughs) which is why, yeah, saying, um, I guess like the whole litany of things I would describe myself as feels somewhat fraudulent, but also
1: very true at the same time. Um, So I, that's like, I'd imagine taking up a lot of your time.
2: Yeah. And I think it's also, I am sort of willing myself to permit it to take up a lot of time because luckily I'm needed right now. And so I can sort of take my time with this pivot that I'm going through in some ways um, with having previously worked in um, I guess like more of like an architectural design office in a more conventional sense um, versus what I'm trying to do next, which is still a little bit up in the air. Yeah. 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 Um,
1: Maura, what do you love about architecture?
2: (sighs) I I say I'm a non-architect architect in the sense that like, Well, first of all, I can't be an architect because I'm not licensed, so it's not legal. Um, But I think I am very interested in, like I was saying before, like physical spaces um, and shared space. And I think the way that architecture is taught, because it spans so specifically between an art form and something like scientific and very um, constructed and literal and physical and um, in meat space. um, I think there's like an interesting... um, yeah, there's an interesting tension there. Uh, for me, I think my frustrations working in architecture have to do with capitalism. So it's just about who has the money, what they're paying for, whether or not I'm spending 10 hours figuring out what kind of golden bathroom fixture to use. <laughs> Yeah. Um versus like thinking about, you know, underutilized space in cities and I guess, you know, people could dele- like I guess like delegate that to like the realm of urban planning.
1: Um but I th- is is there like a big difference?
2: Yeah, I think I think there is, but I do, I think that the way architectural designers are trained, there is more emphasis on, for lack of a better word, artfulness or like, you know, thinking about um, aesthetics and beauty. And I think that's really crucial to thinking about how we build community and who feels welcome in a space, who doesn't feel welcome. Um, And I think, I think those things can, of course, be really present in planning curriculum and now I don't know now I sound a little <laughs> teachy but um but I, I think she's an, they're an educator <laughs>
1: lest we forget I well I know I've already learned so much on this podcast
2: I mean I feel like I should also say like shouts out to my, my mom is a high school teacher and oh I think, wonderful and I was very much raised in the public library so like my love of like words and teaching and like the fact that that's a framework for how I live my whole life and how I make friends like um even earlier when you were talking about how you want this podcast to be about like meeting strangers and like having these conversations like it made me think about how in the pandemic I really miss being alone at a bar like Mm. reading or writing Mm -hmm. and then the people who come up to you and want to talk to you and I think that sort of like desire to transmit knowledge is not just wanting to get to know people but wanting to teach and wanting to
1: learn and I wow, yeah I never thought about it that way and also yeah shout out to libraries is like the last one of the last long-standing social cultural uh institutions in this country and, and God, I hope they survive. Yeah. I think that like in making the podcast, it wasn't even, um, I don't know. I guess it took a pandemic for me to realize, like, Mm. I, I, I'm so out of practice with this and I like need a tool to help me connect better with others. And, uh, I think, uh, yeah, people who are like more outwardly expressive, particularly like people who like feel comfortable using their voice as a tool. I feel like, yeah, they do have those like teaching tendencies and um I never thought about like relating to other people um as like two people have the capacity to learn from each other um but I don't know why because I always try and surround myself with people who have who I can um who might have something to teach me so you're like the perfect guest for the show in so many ways <laughs> let's talk a little bit about voice memos yeah while we're here <laughs> um Would you be willing to walk us through, um, maybe like your take in all ways, how you may have used voice memos in your life, um, if it's evolved at all, if you never touched them?
2: I, yeah, admittedly, very new to voice mems. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I am, I'm part of this like zeitgeisty moment where everyone is suddenly using them. Um, Even though I would say I always think about this moment a year ago, I saw this tweet that was like... Uh, it was just overlaid text on a series of voice notes ex- exchanged between two people that was like, millennials will do anything to not talk on the phone.
1: Oh my God, you need to send that to me.
2: It's so <laughs> funny. I can't find it, so I made my I remade my own oh, cool. with my recent voice memming with people. And I think, um, yeah, it's funny. I hadn't really thought of it as a medium. And I, I was wondering at first, like, oh, is this because my little brother is uh, Gen Z. And so he and I have been using them, but I know that he regularly uses them with his friends. And really? Yeah, just to like, I think, okay, so I was thinking about this on the metro on the way here. Um, I feel like they are like a midpoint, at least when you're using them as an alternative to texting, Um, like between the intimacy of a phone call and the convenience of a text message. Yeah. But I don't often think to like record, I think because as y- you know, you've talked about in previous segments about like the complications of consent and whether or not that totally changes the dynamic mm-hmm. of a situation um which I always think about I had a friend um in Philly um have a friend <laughs> so she's doing a project about indigeneity and she's a farmer and she's a dancer and so she was asking me about it and she was like oh can I record this conversation and that was, like, my first real interaction, I think, with voice memos. This was, like, oh, a year ago. Okay. and I Wow. Was like, and it really shifted for me. I was like, oh, this conversation is different now because I feel, like, self-conscious. I know I'm being recorded. Like, it's still authentic. There's still something genuine, but it feels different than it More did. More
1: like, yeah, there's, like, the element of, like, uh, performance almost mm-hmm. to it. And I love that description of um, it being a midpoint between um, – like the intimacy of a phone call and the convenience of a text message because I've thought about this a lot because in my my mind I definitely draw distinctions between like voice notes which are primarily used to communicate in text Mm -hmm. be like oh hey what are you doing blah 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 and memos which is usually like you recording something else or recording your voice rather than like they're not generally used to communicate I guess unless you have something really long to say and don't want to hold down the button (laughs) but with voice notes I have thought about this a lot and there's so much about them that I prefer to a text I guess I haven't done much comparison to a phone call but I've found that there's so much more potential for deep listening if I send a note rather than write out a text because you you actually see a like who will go through the trouble of listening and be like there's less chances I feel for people to, you know, maybe only respond to a certain thing that you said in text or maybe glaze over something else. Um, and so I'm a big, a big fan of the voice note. I don't, my, I have a younger sister as well. She's not as young, but, um, yeah, I'd be interested to talk to her more about it and, how, how she's using it like gen- what are the generational differences there
2: yeah 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 I mean well just to say I'm like definitely not even a voice mem person at all only voice notes so that's my only like
1: oh wow so like in your voice do you have an iPhone yeah so in your voice memo app there's literally nothing in there
2: well since I started talking to you a week ago <laughs> <laughs> I was no I so I haven't ever used it and I downloaded it because I was like oh what is the difference? What's going yeah, on here? Yeah. Um, and I did record some things, but it was, um, it was because I was thinking about how when I was in grad school, um, I have a very close friend who I have known since we were at Berkeley together, so for like 10 years. And when I would get really frustrated by anything like eh, about architecture, about like, um, about the state of things, uh, et cetera. I would like sing these little diatribes at him. And like, so we, w- we were singing a lot of the pandemic and I realized I was doing that alone in the basement of my mom's dad's house in the suburbs. And I recorded a couple this week cause I was just like, so very recent to voicemails. <laughs> oh
1: wow. Okay. I love that. I love that it's starting. And what else is indicating to you, because I didn't really realize this until you said it, but maybe the podcast is evidence of, of it. What else is indicating to you that voice memos are like having a moment right now?
2: I think people are just using voice notes to talk to each other instead of text or phone calls. And I don't, I don't totally know how I feel about it. Cause I think, I think there's like also a way that that convenience can le- like lead to people not, talking on the phone as much Mm -hmm. with like close friends which i i would hate i love it when my friends call me and i mean phone calls over the past two years have been soul sustaining yeah and i think um so i i kind of wonder about that but i otherwise i just feel like um and i noticed this because my dad brought it up with me and my little brother and Mm -hmm. both of us were like i don't know like people just use notes it's it's convenient
1: and it's nice and it's
2: nice to hear the person's voice
1: how do you feel about the sound of your own voice
2: I don't listen to it except when I'm listening to this headset.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is the first time I've ever heard the sound of my own voice. I understand that. It's not, um, it definitely takes some, some getting used to. Yeah. And I like how there's not, I mean, there's obviously not that element when you're talking to someone on the phone. Mm -hmm. You can like generally only hear the other person unless there's an echo or something. But um, maybe take us through what, Voice note we'll be listening to today.
2: Okay, <laughs> yeah, voice note, not voice mem. Um, so this was a note that was mistakenly sent to me, which is my favorite thing about it. Um. I know it's like you get a
1: little like I don't know. It feels like you're getting a secret.
2: Oh yeah. Well, and I love it because there was an immediate oops follow up text. Um, so this is my very close friend Elena, who I love, and so she and I met um, three years ago. Um, We were in the same grad program, but we became really close like two years ago. Um, It was right after pandemic lockdown. She happened to be walking past my house, came inside and it like started pouring rain and we were sitting on the stoop and it was like a hot, heavy, humid New Jersey rain. And I just really remember. I can smell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It smelled so good. (laughs) Um, And her just being like stuck in my house for hours. And I think that's characterized like a lot of our past couple of years as these like four to six hour long phone calls um which has been really um I think great for both of us and has been interesting for me to like meditate on how friendships strengthen and how physical proximity isn't always all it um yeah especially for us and like we've visited each other a couple times but um yeah I think I think that's one part of it and so the the voice note itself um there's nobody talking in it. So I feel like the context is important. Um, she's on her commute um, and she's in New York. And because I'm in LA and I'm missing New York and I miss the subway, there's like, basically she records um, a violinist and then the sound of the train was really loud. And so she was like, oh, it's it's too loud. It's not pleasant. I'm not going to send it. And then she sent it. And I was like, I love this. I love that I can hear like the Vivaldi violin and this like roaring train. And I miss the New York Metro. I miss this feeling. Um And I, I think it's, It's funny to me, too, the sort of distance produced in a friendship where you would, you know, maybe not talk to that person for three or four days and then send something like this and then be like, oops, I didn't mean to like, oh, am I bothering you? Or, you know, there's like a uncertainty there where I'm just like, no, I love this. And I think that mismatch is like very funny to me.
1: It is funny, and I think it's one of the – it's, like, something you need to push yourself through, especially – I mean, it doesn't sound like you're new friends, but, like, it's always interesting to, like, test that boundary when you're just meeting someone for the first time and you're thinking about them or sending them – you know, thinking about maybe recommending something, something reminds you of them, and you have that moment of pause within yourself, that hesitation, that sometimes that very thing is the bridge from someone becoming – a friend from an acquaintance mm-hmm. um I read in your email and I really like that idea of um uh, relationships friendships especially queer ones being and strengthening at a distance yeah I love that idea that relationships can look very different depending on like obviously what your needs are but how um it doesn't discount like how, like, strong the relationship can be. And sometimes distance is that thing that you need um, in order um, for the relationship to thrive.
2: I like what you're saying, though,
1: because it makes me think of the word queer as a verb. Like, I always
2: think of, like, queer or non-binary as verbs, not as adjectives, because there's no no stasis to it. And, like, queering your relationship, I think, and queering your relationships has so much to do with or can have so much to do with distance. And the sort of, um, yeah, the... The push-pull of that, how it is, like, um there's pros and cons. Yeah, I thought of it like bumpers, like, when you're bowling. Yeah. It's a, it's a really nice, like, I, I think of that. I have a friend, um, Melissa in Philly, who we always say, like, bless the randomness. And it is just, like, I don't know, the universe just does things. And you're yeah. like, oh, the timing. It's good. This
0: exactly.
1: is correct. So I love the way you've described the abundance that's possible in queer relationships that strengthen it at at a distance, as we've been talking about. So it made me think about queer folk who grow up or even still live in areas isolated from other queer community. I definitely grew up in a really homophobic place. And as we were talking about a few minutes ago, like, that sort of propelled me to try and go out and seek other co- queer community rather than try and, I guess, build it or find other people. I just assumed there were no one here is like me. Mm. <laughs> um, so it just got me thinking about all the ways that like queer people have needed to be innovative in culting survival and also just cultivating our own community. So I was wondering if you had any evaluations there or just sort of if the way you grew up or the community you grew up in uh, led you on a similar path.
2: Yeah, um definitely a lot of thoughts. I everything you said, I yeah, I agree. I think um I think for me I I feel like I've been very lucky and I was actually recently talking to a new friend um who was saying something about um not feeling like a very nostalgic person and really? observing that I was a very nostalgic person. Mm-hmm. And I think it has to do with um so I this is jumping around a little. I but I'm currently in the suburbs to do this caretaking um which feels very isolated and very far away from the kinds of context that I've been familiar with. Um, but I think especially because my closest friends, a lot of them have been past roommates, um, are queer and they're still people I talk to regularly. I think I feel very tied to and nostalgic for times that we've spent together. Um, and I just think it keeps me really grounded. So mm-hmm. I think I've been uniquely lucky in a lot of ways, but I think um, when I, when I think about my hometown, there's two really close friends I have from there who we've sort of like traced back and forth each other, even though we've like lived separately and they're both in LA now. And I haven't lived near either of them in more than half a decade and have been spending a ton of time with them in the past six months and have just been feeling, yeah, really fortunate to have like a place to land that feels like home, um, with yeah, queer kin who also know my biological fam and our friends with them and I think that shared space is like very unique and I don't take it for granted
1: yeah that's really special I've like come to conceive of family like in a more broad definition as just someone you have shared experience with informative years or that um I don't know. We just know things about you that no one else would know. Yes. And those friends seem to fit that definition. It's so nice that there's that overlap between, um, uh, someone knowing you at a time or like different versions of yourself.
2: Yeah. My, my, um, my other friend Malia, who's also in LA has been saying the ways that you remember me to myself, which I think is really beautiful phrase and, um, yeah, resonates with that. And we've been, saying the word kinship a lot because I think it feels tighter and more close and aligned to the sort of depth of what we feel but it's also not saying like you know I think I think the designation bio fam and chosen fam is like there's an interesting um, like separation that happens where I'm just kind of like all of the all of the um, bonds that we make in this life are chosen like you know we choose all of them so I don't I don't love I don't love to delineate in general, I
1: guess. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And thank you for framing that with just sort of like a definition um, of how you're thinking about um, kin and kinship, which speaking of, I would love to help further frame our conversation with just hearing your take on, um, I don't know, a couple of different terms that i personally feel have been a little watered down in the past mm. two years i don't want to say that they've become buzzwords but i am very sensitive to the ways that um like methods or methodologies or mechanisms of survival have, can so quickly be co-opted and commodified. commodified and just you know monetize like generally thinking about like the wellness industry but then like care specifically and community care um that has become so necessary in the pandemic how how quickly like it can be sort of watered down. So um as someone who said that they're very invested in physical spaces of community gathering, ritual, care, kinship. Um I would love to hear about what those things sort of mean to you.
2: Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Heavy hitter. Yeah. It's a big question. (laughs) Well, and I think, I think I will just lead off by saying, I mean, Angela Davis says this all the time, but she was in conversation with Adrian Marie Brown, like a little over a year ago and had said, you know, just we always need to be inventing new words because the, the way that words get diluted and lose meaning is just, it's a constant and it's, It's not going to end. And so even typing that email to you, I was like, there's better verbiage for this, but I don't know what it is yet. We're not there. We we haven't invented it. And which is also why I think like queerness is about world building. Like we have to make up those new terms. Um, But I think for me, the reason why they're still the best we've got (laughs) is I think uh, the way I sort of think of community is very rooted in having lived in the Berkeley student cooperatives and having like a democratically run process where we think about what we're going to eat and what, you know, who's doing what chores and have these conversations about um, just like delegating tasks. And also um, there was a Buddhist temple that I was part of where we would go every year and we would sort of like have different tasks depending on the night to like cook for everyone and who's cleaning up and all these things. And I think those those two experiences defined my ethos around it, in that there's like a sense of responsibility that comes from a sense of joy of like wanting to contribute and wanting mm. to be part of something, mm-hmm. which sounds like so ridiculous and trite and obvious to say, but I not think, at all, yeah. But I think in an era of like everything being flattened on Instagram or like people, you know, and especially people being stuck in their houses and needing to talk about what it means to be part of a community or to express care. Um,
1: yeah, it becomes really flattened, like you're saying. And very extractive, right? So many people come to space or um, relationships with this. Like, well, what am I getting out of this attitude? And I've tried to do a lot of like exploration and thinking into like the secret sauce that is the catalyst for mutual contribution. And I love what you're saying about joy. Like that being sort of the thing that draws people to want to build something together, or collaborate, or nurture something. It's a feeling. It's like the feeling of joy.
2: Yeah, and that that like mobilizes us forwards. And um, yeah, and so Elena, my friend who sent the voice note, actually had been saying to me that you know in this past year of like being in Philly alone, and you know the ways that that sort of I guess like changed me, but also just brought me closer to myself in small ways um, that she thinks I'm leaning on my intuition by coming here. And I think her repeat use of the word intuition over the past half year really has me reflecting on like what that means for me with regard to community and care, because I think about like, like, the way that maybe a baby leftist would use that term and like come into spaces. And, you know, it can be a little performative, even if it's coming from a place that has good intention at its root.
1: I'm particularly interested in the idea of ritual. Mm. And as it relates to um, community, community building, what's what's your evaluation there?
2: I think that familiarity is really important. And I think that like, I mean, I mean, I'm thinking in general just about like dinner parties <laughs> and just like, you know, being in a space where there's something regular that's predictable. Um, like I had a friend in the Bay who used to have a Shabbat dinner um, with his housemates and then I would get invited to. And I think like even being invited into those spaces and having it be so, um, yeah, like regular and predictable is important. Um, and I I don't even really have um, any firm thoughts on like what form that could take. Just the fact that it's something... Um, yeah, that feels I don't wanna say secure. Yeah, maybe predictable is the best word.
1: Yeah. You you need um repeated planned or unplanned interaction and time to like form form bonds with people. I miss dinner parties so I know much. Me
2: too. <laughs> I've I've been to one since the <laughs> pandemic since I got here and I think that's been like it's been such a catalyst. We're having another one next week. But oh, I like, love it. Yeah, but I think it's been really motivating for me in being here in like a new space and, like, you know, forming bonds all over again because of having moved for whatever time.
1: Yeah. Um, well, thank you for um, offering up those, those definitions. Um, I already feel like I'm learning so much. Um, so as we sort of talked about as well, you've led this pretty transient lifestyle. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you personally... Reconcile the cultivation of like an enduring physical space with all those qualities of ritual and care and community with sort of like the impermanence of a nomadic way of life? I have no idea,
2: (laughs) is the answer. And I, I think, yeah, I mean, I feel very lucky in the sense that caretaking, because it is like, uh, demanding, but slow work. It, I have been reflecting a lot. And, um, yeah, my friend Bees has been saying like, you know, maybe this is, um, what did they say? They said, maybe this is the residency, like, cause I've been painting and I've been writing and doing all these things. And oh wow yeah, which, which has been really beautiful and, um, like a, a generous space for me, but I think it's also made me so much more intentional about who I'm calling and when and like how I'm checking in on people. And, um, and I think it's, it's been illuminating for how, yeah, that intention doesn't necessarily always
1: come with physical proximity. Yeah. It goes back to the like strengthening at a distance that we were talking about earlier.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, but I will also say like, I think it's uniquely fortunate that so many of these people for me have been in New York and LA and so, um, or in the Bay area. And so like, I have friends who are coming down from the Bay to see me. And I think, you know, that would not have been possible when we were on different coasts. And there's just been like a lot of swapping. So we could also just like put it down to like elitist coastal BS, <laughs> <laughs> which like would also be um accurate. Um, But no, I feel, I feel fortunate that there's been sort of like a swapping and like a consistency to those, those people who are touchstones in my life. And I would never discount that. And I just think I'm so lucky that they're here at the same time as me. And um yeah my friend Malia also keeps saying um I'm I'm so grateful that we're in bodies at the same time.
1: Wow. Which I think is really Yeah, that adds the um like dimension of time to it mm-hmm. as well. Obviously there's like physical proximity, but then also yeah, to be just like the the presencing aspect of it as well. That's really cool. All your friends seem amazing, by the way. They are. Malina, They're so amazing. Malia, <laughs> Elena. <laughs> I appreciate um, all the people and thoughts that, like, both brought us here today. Um, I can't believe we actually have the studio for two more minutes, <laughs> <laughs> which is a little bit fucked up. I feel like we could talk for hours. Yeah. Um, but I do want to make space for two more questions. Okay. Um, so as you know, each episode has an accompanying playlist, um, because of what you wrote about earlier, uh, about your friend, um, sort of recording the voice memo, like, because the sound of the violence makes her cry. I just got so obsessed with the idea of recording something, not in spite of it making you cry, but because it does. Mm. So I thought that a good theme for this playlist could be songs that make you cry in a good way. Um... So do you have any recommendations that could get us started for our collaborative playlist?
2: Yes, I do. I have maybe, I have several. Do you want me to mention all of them?
1: Yeah, and talk about why you included them.
2: Okay, well, I included um, Fun Boy 3's Our Lips Are Sealed because it's a favorite. I don't feel like it needs explanation. (laughs) (laughs) I also, so I included Habibi's Born Too Late, which my philadelphia neighbor turned me on to um the day that i flew out from philly and they were like oh this song always makes me think of you
0: oh that's so special yeah and
2: actually the other song skin to skin is by their friend hayden who goes by hyde and that um also was something they sent me once i came to la Mm -hmm. they were also like all these lyrics make me think of you
1: oh wow um as a lyrics person, that would be really meaningful to hear.
2: Yes, no, it definitely is, and also the there's like some, such a like frenetic and also like yeah like um, very poetic lyrical quality to th- this person's work. So I was just like, oh, flattered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I also put in a letter to my younger self from Amber Lucid, and um, yeah, I don't know how to. I think with these last four, I don't know how I would articulate the fit yeah it doesn't it doesn't have to be
1: any rhyme or reason
2: yeah yeah um but i also put in uh, Nilufer yanya's melt um Kwongbin's so we don't forget and the japanese breakfast cover of dreams by
1: the cranberries oh my gosh um, i don't think i have heard any of these songs Oh, ooh, fun. Yeah, I've I'll I've like Yeah, I've heard of some of the artists, but like when you say the name of the song, it's like not a melody's not coming to my head. So I'm like I'm really excited to discover something new. And also once I hear all of them, be able to like iterate on the playlist too. And hopefully share something new as well. Yeah. Um okay with only a few minutes to spare, Maura. And thank you so much for being here today, sharing um, so with so much heart and openness. Is there anything you would like to shout out that you're working on? Anything or person? Um, Not in particular, but thank you for having me. Of course. <laughs> of course. I'm so glad that this is such an interesting way of getting to know someone.
0: Yeah, it really is. <laughs> there's like an
1: element of formality to it, but at the same time feels like because the topics are so personal, there's like a tension here between like the recording part of it, the microphone part of it. But um, I'm so happy to have been able to just get to know you a little bit more. And I'm so happy you reached out too. I um, I think it's really serendipitous because um, – I don't know just us like being here at the same time and also um how how much insight you have in this topic and in in this world and um I don't know I just feel like our paths are are really aligned so thank you so much I also very much feel that way (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you great okay um we'll catch you guys next time thanks for listening bye